Your disease is still coming from the gut because you have abnormal gut flora. Your gut is a major source of toxicity and, and it is these toxins that cause the autoimmune disease. Every chronic disease, mental or physical, every single one of them, in my opinion, is born in the gut. They come out of the gut. So GAPS diet is the baseline treatment for every chronic disease. Because the symptoms is your body letting your conscious mind know that you're doing something wrong to it. Through pain, through inflammation, through swelling, through other symptoms. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, this is another one of those surreal episodes when I got when I get to in, when I get to interview somebody I have been following for years, 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 ever since I first started getting digestive issues around 2013, 2014. I was researching all of the diets for digestive distress and to help heal your gut. And the GAPS diet was one of the go-to diets for that. I was obsessed with the concept of it. I read the GAPS book then, The Gut and Psychology Syndrome. When I saw that Natasha was releasing a second book, The Gut and Physiology Syndrome, oh my goodness, I was so excited, so hopeful that she would come on the show. And I was just so thrilled when she accepted. Trust me, if you have digestive issues and any health issues in general, gut health is so key. And Dr. Campbell McBride knows all about this. I really think you guys will enjoy today's episode. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash gaps. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. And then you can check out my Instagram also for a giveaway. Find the post about this episode, comment there to also win. And friends, a lot of people don't take me up on entering, so you have a really good chance of winning. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, 
they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, 
and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally, completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Dr. Campbell McBride. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly thrilled and excited about the conversation that I am about to have. It is honestly a long time coming for me. So on this show, I have interviewed a ton of really, really amazing people, but a few of the people that I've interviewed are figures in the health movement that I have been a personal follower of for years. And today's guest is one of those people. When I first started experiencing my own personal digestive issues and health issues, probably like a a decade ago or so now, I started looking up different dietary protocols to try to heal my gut state. And one of the protocols that just kept coming up and that I learned so much about and implemented some of the practices was the GAPS protocol. The book that I read at the time was Gut and Psychology Syndrome, Natural Treatment for Autism, Dyspraxia, ADD, Dyslexia, ADHD, Depression, Schizophrenia. And I was fascinated by the GAPS protocol. I thought there was so much to it. I even, at the time, I had my website up and my blog, and I would blog about it, and I created food guides revolving around it. So it's been a huge part of my life for so long. And then just last year in 2020, the author, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, released a new version, like a part two, which is the gut and physiology syndrome, natural treatment for allergies, autoimmune illness, arthritis, gut problems, fatigue, hormonal problems, neurological disease, and more. And I was so so excited because I saw this as a perfect opportunity to reach out to the author and invite her onto the show. I wanted to invite her on anyway, but now with the new book, it was just really perfect timing. And this book, oh my goodness, listeners, 
talk about mind blowing. I like, if you think, you know, things about the gut microbiome, it just scratches the surface. When you read this book, you realize there's so much more. It was just really, really fascinating book. I'm so excited to discuss it today. So Dr. Campbell McBride, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. So to start things off, we were just chatting right before this about how people's stories in this world often come to be, but I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about your personal story of what made you so interested in health. I will let listeners know that you you did graduate with honors as a medical doctor in 1984 from Bashkir Medical University in Russia. You also have a postgraduate degree in neurology, but what led you to your interest in health and writing the many books, because I mentioned two of them, but you have many books. What led you to all of that today? Well, it's um, a typical story of a mainstream medical doctor who was pulled out of the mainstream medicine by my family, by my children. My first child was diagnosed with autism at the age of three, which threw me into a very steep learning curve because my own profession had absolutely nothing to offer. So that learning curve led me to getting a degree in human nutrition and uh, learning everywhere, you know, whatever I could learn from whoever I could learn. That's how the GAPS protocol was born. That's how the whole concept of GAPS was born, because my child was a GAPster. The result of that search is that my child now is in his 20s, and he is a healthy young man leading a normal life. So that was a huge, huge lesson for me. And as I was in touch with many other families with autistic children at the time, because we were all searching, all helping each other, I started sharing this information with other families. That's how my clinic was born. And as I was working with all these children, I realized that their siblings are not well either and that uh, they have digestive issues, they have ADHD, they have allergies, they have asthma, they have eczema, they have diabetes type 1, all sorts of things. And then I realized that their parents, also gapsters, that the parents very often suffer from, again, digestive disorders, allergies, autoimmunity, chronic fatigue syndrome, sometimes mental issues as well. And uh, from all of this, this all snowballed and the whole concept of GAPS was born as gut and psychology and gut and physiology syndrome. Why I divided the concept into two? Because the first book I've written in 2004, Gut and Psychology Syndrome, where I indeed focused on the brain. Because I was dealing largely with autism and ADHD and dyslexia, dyspraxia and other learning disabilities in children and mental disease and adults as well. That's what I focused on in the first book. But obviously, the cause of all of this is in the digestive system, and it doesn't just address the brain. It doesn't just affect the brain. It affects the whole body. So as I was working with that, gradually I've developed a second concept, gotten physiology syndrome. And uh, that book I was working on for quite a long time. And as you said, It came out last year, Garden Physiology Syndrome, which completes the GAPS concept because it covers the rest of the body. So both books are important. Both books carry their own, they stand on their own. They carry their own information. The first one's focusing on the brain. The second one focuses on the rest of the human body. Yes, that's absolutely fantastic. I have a question. So with your son and autism, did he or does he still experience symptoms that would typically be attributed to autism or does he not experience that at all? 
I'm just wondering to what effect does following the dietary protocol influence the conditions that people experience? He has fully recovered and he has recovered in childhood. He's still eccentric and he is much deeper than many young people in his generation that I meet because of what he's been through. He's my spiritual guru, I have to say. Whenever I have any spiritual question, whenever I have any deep philosophical issue, he's the person I ask. And he just lays it all out for me. He's never read any books. He's never listened to any spiritual gurus. But he knows all of that. He's connected to some other level. He's connected to something else. And that's, that's the eccentricity that he has. The, the immense depth in his philosophy, in his understanding of this world, understanding of humanity and understanding of life the meaning of life and the sense in it all and what actually is going on in this world. So he's always been my teacher and he is he remains my teacher. He's 28 years old now. But what I would like to say about autism, that from my point of view, almost 100% of children with autism today, nowadays, and in the last 30 years, were babies who were born with a perfectly normal brain. These were perfectly normal babies. But they got poisoned from day one of their lives, because they have acquired abnormal gut flora from mommy and daddy. We now have generations of people with abnormal gut microbiome. And this damage in the gut microbiome is getting deeper with every generation because of the environment that we've created in our modern world, particularly in the Western world. So mother and father pass damaged gut flora to the baby from day one. So the baby starts its life from a very bad starting point with a damaged gut flora. And what this abnormal gut flora does, it damages the integrity of the gut wall, making it porous and leaky. At the same time, these pathogenic microbes digest food that comes along in their own way, even breast milk, converting it into millions of poisons, downright poisonous chemicals. These chemicals absorb through the damaged gut wall. There's a, a river of toxicity flowing from the gut into the blood, into the lymph, and being distributed around the body. What happens with these babies? That river of toxicity gets in their brain and interferes in the normal development of the child's brain. Children, from the moment of birth, their brains develop at a very rapid pace. New skills are developed, new synapses, new connections be between the, the brain cells are developed. New memories, new understanding of the world. They're developing language. They're developing skills of walking and talking and coordination and putting things together, making sense of this world, adapting to this world. But the problem is, if the brain is clogged with toxicity, it cannot develop properly. It cannot develop all these skills. Where does the child get information? The information comes from the sensory organs. That's how we interact with this world. We use our eyes, ears, smell, taste, tactile sensitivity, proper receptors, and other, other sensory organs to communicate with the world. These organs collect information from the world, and then they pass this information to the brain to be processed. And from that information, the child learns that this is mommy, this is daddy, I can trust them. These are other children, I copy them. This is food I eat, these are other, other children, I copy them. And this is uh, toys I play with them like that. But if the child's brain is clogged with toxicity, it's unable to process this information appropriately. All this information coming from sensory organs turns into a noise, into a mush in the child's brain. 
And from that noise, the brain cannot decipher anything useful and doesn't develop appropriately. That's why these children, very often autistic children, don't know their mother and father. The mommy and daddy don't mean any more than any other human being around. They are known to pick up a hand of any stranger on the street and try to walk away with that person, with mommy running behind and calling his name. And they don't know what to do with toys. They don't know how to copy other children. They don't develop all the normal skills a normal baby would develop. They were born with a normal brain, but the brain is poisoned. And the longer the, po the brain is in that state, in that poisoned state, the more entrenched the abnormalities become, the more physically damaged the brain becomes. Because toxicity accumulating in the brain inflicts damage to the brain tissue, to the structure, physical structure of the brain. Then the immune system, of course, cannot stand by and do nothing about this situation. It tries to clean this contaminated brain of the child. It launches inflammation in the brain, which causes headaches in these babies, in these children. The brain is swollen. Inflammation is swelling, usually, and it hurts. That is why many autistic children bang their heads on furniture and on the floor and other things, because it hurts. They just have a permanent headache. They may feel nauseous. They feel awful. Autoimmunity is developed fairly quickly against these toxins in the brain and complexes that the toxins create with proteins in the brain. Because toxins like to attach themselves to various proteins in our bodies. And they find a, a protein that is suitable for the chemical structure of this particular toxin. It fits like a hand in a glove quite often with a protein. And once this toxic molecule that came from the gut attaches to itself to a protein in the brain, a new molecule is born. With a different three-dimensional structure, it's large and it looks alien to the immune system. So the immune system then develops antibodies against these molecules. So there is an autoimmune attack on the brain, there is inflammation going on in the brain, and the toxicity itself inflicts damage to the brain. And the longer that situation goes on, the more physical damage is inflicted on the brain of the child, and the more autistic abnormalities become entrenched. That is why we want to catch a little one and put this little one on the GAPS nutritional protocol as soon as possible. It's, there's an absolute urgency in treating children with learning disabilities. We must not let them be in that toxic state, in that terrible state, a minute longer, because the longer they're in it, the more entrenched and more physically damaged they become. So the younger the children are when they're autistic children or hyperactive children or children with other learning disabilities, when we start the GAPS nutritional protocol, the quicker they recover and the more fully they recover. Because what the GAPS nutritional protocol will do, it will heal and seal the gut wall. We'll basically build a new gut wall for the child. And it changes the gut flora. It rebalances the gut flora. It changes it. It normalizes it. So that river of toxicity coming from the gut stops eventually. Gradually, it turns into a trickle, into a little, little trickle, and then eventually it stops. It takes time, of course, to heal the gut. And once that river of toxicity stops, the brain cleans up. Our human brain has a marvelous ability to clean itself, and it does that all the time. It constantly cleanses itself. It cleanses itself, and from that moment on, the baby wakes up. The child comes out of this toxic fog. The immune system retreats, stops launching inflammation. Inflammation stops, and autoimmunity stops in the brain. And from that moment on, the child starts developing normally. The brain clicks into the normal programming, you know, and, and it starts developing all the normal skills. The younger the child is when that happens, that moment happens, 
the less development the child missed out on and the less damage, physical damage was inflicted on the tissue of the brain, on the brain itself, by all those chemicals and inflammation and autoimmunity. In my clinical experience, up to the age of four or five, children can fully recover from autism if we catch the child young enough. Older than that, children do get better, but there is always a residue left because enough physical damage was inflicted on the brain already of the child. But it doesn't mean that after five, there's no point to do the gaps nutritional protocol. Not at all. At any age, an autistic individual or child with any other learning disability should be put on the gaps nutritional protocol. You can never predict to what degree a child will recover. And indeed, you know, in a clinical setting, you see this very severe child, just absolutely hopeless-looking situation. And then this child takes off like a rocket. And a year later, you don't recognize this child. And then there is a child who is fairly mild, and you think, oh, this one just got a little bit to get rid of. And yet that child might turn out to be the most difficult one. So you can never predict uh, to what degree. So at any age, it makes sense to start the GAPS nutritional protocol and do it seriously. And as soon as the parents found out about it, there is an urgency to start immediately, as soon as possible. So just get the book. The diet is on online on many, many websites. It is on my website, described in detail, on gaps.me, G-A-P-S dot M-E. It is in my box, the diet. In order to, to, to arrest the process and allow the child, to give the child the best opportunity to come out of this situation and to start developing normally. You answered the question I was going to ask, which was, because I hadn't really thought about things like autism in the context of if the cause of it isn't genetic or isn't a standalone cause, but rather is toxicity from the body because it's developing in the brain and the brain develops on a specific timeline. I was wondering if there was a point of no return where you couldn't recover, but you, you answered that really well as far as that's really good to know that, you know, before age four and five, that there's the potential for full recovery. And then beyond that, obviously, massive, massive improvements in the condition. I had adults with autism at the age of, in their 40s, in a wheelchair, severely disabled individual, not toilet trained, in nappies, screeching, smearing feces, aggressive, just terrible, ter- very difficult to look after, terrible situations. And even these people, when you put them on the first and second stages of the GAPS introduction diet, what happens with them? Inflammation stops, headache stops, nausea stops. These people feel awful. That is why permanently, that is why they're screeching, that is why they're misbehaving, that is why they're aggressive. They just feel awful. They're trying to get attention that way. But when inflammation stops, when autoimmunity stops, nausea stops, headache stops, they feel well. They become happy. They start sleeping through the night. We had 40-year-olds who got totally trained for the first time in their lives. And that's a huge thing for carers. And if you want to invest in that person, if you want to try, you can even teach them to speak certain words. And we had one 46-year-old man who learned to say toilet when he wanted a toilet, and they would wheel him in a wheelchair to the toilet, and he will have a he developed normal toileting skills, you know, because the, the carers really cared that, about that particular aspect of looking after him. So you can teach them things; they become teachable at any age. So it is worth doing it with any adult at any age, and once they're on the diet, they need to stay on it permanently for the rest of their lives. 
Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual Biohacking Conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando. And it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. That is so incredible. And something else that you touched on and all of that was it was a paradigm shift for me in the concept of autoimmunity. It's a really interesting idea that you posit that because most people think of autoimmunity as the body, you know, misidentifying its own proteins as a problem and attacking them. But you posit that there's always a toxin or there's always something in the protein of the body. So like the immune system isn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the immune system isn't attacking the body at all. It's attacking whatever is going along with it. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. Human body is a perfection. It is the pinnacle of perfection. It is designed perfectly. There is nothing wrong with our bodies. All the healing, is, all the repair is programmed into your body. Your own body heals you, not the pill, not the doctor, not the diet, not anything else. Your own body does all the work, does all the healing. So the concept of autoimmunity that our mainstream medicine is believing in It's called the mimicry phenomenon. That's what is taught in the medical schools to students, medical students. And it's this kind of fairy tale that goes like that, that your own immune system, for whatever reason, and and there is no reason that the mainstream medicine can identify, you know, just for some reason, your immune system just decided, well, shall I attack myself? (laughs) Shall I attack perfectly healthy, normal tissues of my own body? Shall I become rogue? Shall I become a, a, a highway, you know, uh, villain and, and start attacking myself for no good reason? And uh, that theory suits the big pharma very, very well. You know, the pharmaceutical industry perfectly well. 
You know, that is, and because it is the pharmaceutical industry that writes the curriculum of medical schools, that, that is why this phenomenon is given the, as, as the dogma of autoimmunity to the mainstream doctors. Because this idea leads them to selling medications which suppress immune system. Let's beat the immune system down so it's unable to function at all. As a result, the autoimmunity will stop. It will stop attacking the body, kind of thing. That's the idea. And uh, every normal person, every thinking and reasonable person will know that you can't live without the immune system. This is, this is something essential. Everything in our human bodies is absolutely essential. You cannot protect yourself from the environment. You cannot interact with the environment without a well-functioning, normal immune system. That is absolutely essential. So once you start suppressing the immune system, you're opening your body to all kinds of problems, long-term problems. Toxicity coming out of the gut or coming into the body from other places. All toxins, when they come into the body, they look for a place to attach themselves. They look for an anchor. You know, like any boat, eventually, no matter how much it sails around the seas, it wants to come into a harbor eventually and, and anchor itself somewhere. The same thing happens with all the toxic things and pathogenic molecules and various hormones and various neurotransmitters and enzymes and various other molecules. So they look for a place where they can fit in, where they can drop anchor. And as I say, they fit in like a hand in glove with various proteins. So they find for, they look for their own protein that is, is nice to attach to. Once they find that protein, they attach themselves to this protein and they become one with that protein, changing its three-dimensional structure. Your immune system surveys the body all the time. It goes around the body, surveying it all the time, checking everything. It finds this changed protein, looks at it and says, oh gosh, you, you don't look like mine. You look boring. You look strange. You look like a virus or something else that got in. And the first thing the immune system would do in that situation, it would use an off-the-shelf method or reaction that is ready right there, grab and use, and that is inflammation. And what is inflammation? Inflammation is, it's swollen, it's red, it's hot, it hurts, and it doesn't work. That is what inflammation is. And the typical, typically this happens in, with a molecule of protein in the human body called collagen. About three quarters of all, three quarters or two thirds, according to different researchers, of all protein in the human body is collagen. This is an elastic protein that holds our bodies together. It, it makes, makes us elastic. It, it just holds every tissue together. Collagen creates the skeleton of your bones, the skeleton of your muscles, the stroma of your inner organs, the capsules of your organs. The joints and ligaments around joints are largely made out of collagen. Collagen, elastin, and similar elastic proteins, elastic molecules. The capsule of the joint, the liquid inside the joint, the meniscus, the old surfaces of the bones are covered by cartilage, which is made out of collagen. And uh, all your organs are hanging inside you on ligaments and inside capsules, which are made out of collagen. And then fascias, which are big sheaths, tough layers between muscles in your abdominal wall, around your body, around your torso, around every muscle, you know, all the sheaths of nerves and sheaths of blood vessels, walls of blood vessels are largely made out of collagen. So majority of you is collagen, in other words. The problem is that collagen has, is a magnet for toxins 
because it has many sulfur-containing amino acids, and those is sulfur is the magnet for toxicity. Sulfur is a major detoxifying molecule in the human body. Sulfates, sulfur. So a large percentage of toxicity that comes out of your gut or from other sources from the environment target collagen. They get attached to collagen. And uh, you wake up in the morning, and the joint where this toxicity attached itself is swollen, red, hot, hurts, and it doesn't bend. doesn't work very well. That is inflammation. Your immune system came in, identified this contaminated collagen, contaminated molecules, and launched inflammation to clean them up. What do people do in that situation? You know, they, they get diagnosed with arthritis. Your knee is swollen, so that's arthritis. What is arthritis? Inflammation of, of the joint. That's what it basically means. And people start taking anti-inflammatory drugs, painkillers, and so on, to beat down inflammation, to stop the inflammation. If you stop the inflammation, the pain, will, of course, will subside. The swelling, the redness, the limitation of function will subside because inflammation has subsided. But now, nothing's cleaning your contaminated joint. Your knee is still contaminated, and nothing is cleaning it anymore. And having contaminated tissues and contaminated proteins in the body is a very unhealthy situation. So it's a situation which lays the ground for development of cancer, a development of other terrible diseases and abnormalities in the body. The immune system is doing its work by launching inflammation. You do not want to fight inflammation. You do not want to interfere with it. If this toxicity came in one bunch and then stopped coming, inflammation is a, an extremely powerful and effective way of cleaning contaminated tissues. It will clean up that joint for you, that knee for you, a couple of days. Inflammation will subside if you don't take any uh, painkillers or anti-inflammatory drugs. It will subside and your knee will be as, as good as new. It will be cleaned up by inflammation. All the toxicity will be removed and you'll be absolutely fine. But if toxicity doesn't stop coming in, if it continues coming in and comes in every day, every day, every day, a little bit, inflammation becomes not enough to keep up with that influx of toxicity. It's not enough. And because the body focused on your knee, on that first joint that got affected, it will clean up that knee and the inflammation will subside and your knee will be all right. But these toxins now will target other joints. They will go through your other knee, through your elbows, through your thumbs, through your, you know, other, other joints. And uh, the, the inflammation of the joints can become systemic. Give this situation a couple of months the immune system then will realize that inflammation is not enough. It will start learning about these contaminated collagen molecules with this particular toxin, learn the three-dimensional configuration of that molecule, its properties, what it does, what it doesn't do, and start developing specific weapons against them, specific antibodies. Antibody will then dismantle that molecule and remove it. You go to the doctor. The doctor takes a blood sample and finds these antibodies in your blood. And as soon as the doctor finds these antibodies in your blood, they say, oh, well, this is immune autoimmune disease. Your immune system is attacking you. We must suppress it. Let's take steroids. Let's take cytotoxic drugs and, and other uh, very damaging drugs to beat your immune system down so it stops doing this. And because the pain and inflammation comes from the activity of the immune system, when you beat it down with the drugs, the pain will stop, the inflammation will stop in the joint, and you think, oh, this is good, I'm better. But that's just symptomatic, you've removed symptoms. You didn't remove the root cause of the disorder, of what's really going on. So the process will continue, 
destroying your joints, destroying your collagen all over your body, but this time without you being aware. Because the symptoms is your body calling for help, your body letting you know, letting your conscious mind know that you're doing something wrong to it. Through pain, through inflammation, through swelling, through other symptoms. Our pharmaceutical industry is designed to produce symptomatic medications. And the medical profession has been turned into a sales force for this pharmaceutical industry to sell these drugs. So you take the symptomatic medications, you remove the symptoms. So by doing that, you're basically telling your body, stop calling for help and suffer in silence. So the process will continue. The disease hasn't gone. It will continue raging in your body, but this way silently, without letting you know, because you're taking medications to remove the symptoms. And that is what happens in autoimmune disease in the world today. In reality, what we need to do, instead of beating the immune system down, we need to respect it and understand that our immune system is never misguided. It never makes mistakes. It knows exactly what it's doing. Instead of attacking it, it's like, you know, so somebody's broken a leg and the doctor is trying to fix that leg for you, put the bones together, and that hurts, doesn't it? The surgeon, when the surgeon is operating on you, unless you, you, you're under general anesthetic, it hurts if you don't have general anesthetic, you know? And so, so you bang the surgeon on the head, so the, that pain stops, but the leg remains broken. Nobody fixes the leg. That's what exactly, exactly happens in, in this situation. What we want to do, we want to address the broken leg and help that surgeon to do the work quicker and more effectively. And yes, of course, it will hurt. And yes, of course, there will be a period of inflammation and pain and limitation of function and everything else because immune system creates symptoms. In fact, all the symptoms that we ever get of our headaches, toothaches, you know, pain in any place in our body, swelling, inflammation, redness, rash, any kind of symptom we ever get, all of these symptoms are created by our immune system because it's doing work and it's letting your conscious mind know, I'm doing some very important work, assist me, help me, respect what I'm doing. But instead of doing that, people beat the immune system down to stop these symptoms. And as a result, the problem goes deeper and the problem becomes chronic and more entrenched in the body. So with autoimmunity, all autoimmune disease is born in the gut. There is no doubt about it whatsoever. In, in the GAPS community, we've been talking about it for the last 20 years. And in the last few years, the major immunologists, the most respected immunologists of the world, started saying the same. They finally caught up with us. They understood that, yes, indeed, every autoimmune disease is born in the gut. No matter how far away from the gut, the symptoms may manifest. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis, it comes from the gut. If you have multiple sclerosis, it comes from the gut. If you have Hashimoto, or you have lupus, or you have psoriasis, or you have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or anything else that is autoimmune, even if you don't have any digestive symptoms, even if you don't have diarrhea, constipation, gas, bloating, pain, whatever it is in the digestive system, your disease is still coming from the gut. It was born in the gut. Because you have abnormal gut flora, this abnormal gut flora damaged the integrity of your gut wall, making it porous and leaky. It's like a sieve. And this abnormal gut flora digests the food that you eat in its own way, pro producing millions of poisons, poisonous chemicals. These chemicals absorb through the damaged gut lining and they race around your body. Your gut is a major source of toxicity 
in your body. On top of that, and, and it is these toxins that cause the autoimmune disease, not your immune system. The toxins are causing the autoimmune disease. On top of that, what we need to understand that about 85%, between 80 to 85% of our immune system is located in the gut wall. Your digestive system is the major, the most, the biggest and the most important immune organ in the human body. And there is a very close interaction between gut flora and the immune system that is sitting in your gut wall. And when the immune system, the, the gut flora is abnormal and this river of toxicity flowing through the gut wall, of course, the immune system will get that information first and it will act upon that information appropriately, launching inflammation, launching autoimmunity, and using many, many other mechanisms. Because apart from these two mechanisms, our immune system has many, many other mechanisms that it uses. It is an immensely complex system. We only scratch the surface in researching it and trying to understand it. Our science knows very, very little about the immune system. God save anybody who tries to act upon that little, little knowledge. Do not interfere with what your immune system is, is trying to do. The important thing is to remove toxicity. And how do we remove toxicity? How do we stop that river of toxins flowing from the gut? We have to change the gut flora. We have to drive out pathogens and reestablish normal, healthy, balanced microbial flora in there. And we have to heal and seal the gut wall. We have to build a new gut wall for the person. It's easily done through diet. And that is what GAPS nutritional protocol is designed for. That is what GAPS diet does. It changes your gut microbiome and it builds you a new, solid, strong, healthy gut wall. All those holes get closed up. So that river of toxicity stops. And with it, autoimmunity stops. Because your immune system, as soon as it finds that toxins stop coming in, contamination stops, that the tissues are not being contaminated anymore, it will put all those antibodies on a shelf in some library, somewhere in some storage room, just in case for the future if, if, if it needs them, and it will stop using them. And as a result, your level of antibodies in the, in the blood will drop dramatically to zero, and autoimmunity will stop, inflammation will stop, and with that, the symptoms will disappear. Do you know with those antibodies, because you just mentioned, you know, putting them on a shelf for the future, do they ever completely go away or does every antibody that we've created at some point, is there some memory of it somewhere? The memory stays. Once the immune system learned about something, it never forgets for the rest of your life. So if you again get contaminated the same way, you've recovered from your disease and then you Five, six years later, you got tempted and you decided, oh, now I can eat chocolate muffins for breakfast. <laughs> and you start eating chocolate muffins for breakfast again. And these chocolate muffins feed particular pathogens in your gut because they never go away either. They just reduced the numbers dramatically and got controlled by other microbes in your gut flora. But they're still there. But chocolate muffins specifically feed those microbes. And if you start feeding them, they, they will again grow out of proportion, again damage your gut wall, again produce all those toxins, and launch the same process again for you, the same rheumatoid arthritis, or the same autoimmune disease. And, um, but this time, immune system will remember that, it will have the memory of that, so those antibodies will be out on day one. You will not have to wait for two months for the immune system to learn about that situation and start developing these antibodies. They will be out. Immediately, the immune system will roll them up straight away and, and uh, roll your whole autoimmune disease back up again. 
it's a discipline that your your body imposes upon you. <laughs> but if you can't eat chocolate muffins, you can't eat chocolate muffins. <laughs> this feels like a very naive question, but do you know where the immune system is? I'm just wondering where the information is stored. The immune system is everywhere, literally everywhere. In every organ, every tissue, absolutely everywhere. But as I say, the commanding echelons of the immune system are in the gut wall. The generals, the admirals, the officers, you know, all the commanding elements that make the major decisions, they're in the gut wall. Why? Because of the gut flora. Gut flora is a huge microbial community. And the recent research is telling us that 90% of all cells in your body are in that gut flora. 90%. So your body is just 10%. It's a shell. A habitat for this mass of microbes that live inside us. Majority of us are microbes. And if you think about it, evolutionary biology is telling us that human body actually evolved from microbes over billions of years on the planet. We are of microbial origin to start with. Your blood cells, many blood cells in your body behave like microbes. They look like microbes. And they change depending on the situation. They change and they start behaving like microbes that they used to be billions of years ago. And they never forget who they came from, where they came from. They never forget their their predecessors. So we are of microbial origin to start with, and we are full of microbes. Majority of this microbial community lives in the gut. But then we now know that there is nothing microbe-free in the human body. No tissue. You have microbes normal in healthy people, normal microbiome living in your blood, in your lymph, in your lungs, in your heart, in your abdominal cavity, in, your, in, in women in uterus and fallopian tubes and ovaries, in the brain, in the eyes, everywhere. Everywhere there are microbes, and certainly on every mucous membrane, without doubt. But the headquarters of this hollow microbiome, you know, microbiome of the whole body, the headquarters of it are in the gut. And thank God for that, because that way we can affect our whole microbiome. Because microbes are very responsive to food. Food is the biggest influence on microbial composition in nature, anywhere. You change the food supply and you change the compositional microbes in any environment, immediately, literally within hours, within minutes. So by changing our diet, we can alter the microbial community in our gut, our gut flora. And because it's the headquarters of the whole microbial community of your whole body, by changing that gut flora, you will rebalance the whole microbiome in your whole body. Quick question about the collagen while we were still talking about it. Does that mean because a a large part of the GAPS diet is eating collagen-rich meats, does that mean collagen, though, is often a source of toxicity, like from animals? Does that collagen often have toxins attached to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We now know that gelatin capsules on our supplements, on drugs, gelatin sold in the shops. What is gelatin? It's collagen from animals that's been boiled, processed, and turned into this gelatin powder. That's a collagen from animals. It's contaminated by glyphosate nowadays. Glyphosate is one of the most widely used agricultural chemicals. It stemmed from Agent Orange that was used in the Vietnam War. It's, it's extremely poisonous, and originally it was patented as a broad-spectrum antibiotic, glyphosate. Glyphosate is the Roundup herbicide that many people spray their poor dandelions in the gardens on their lawns. 
you know, it's, it's used as a, as a herbicide. It is extremely toxic. For decades, industrial agricultural chemical complex got away with lies that it, it just degrades immediately as soon as it touches the soil and doesn't harm anything. Mm-hmm. Now we have plenty of research to show that glyphosate causes autism, causes mental illness, infertility, heart disease, obesity, and Lyme disease and all sorts of other illnesses in people. It's one of the most toxic. It's more toxic than DDT was. Many of you probably remember about DDT, Silent Spring, the book that came out. That, that got DDT banned in the Western world. But glyphosate is worse than DDT. And it probably will take another few years, hopefully not too long, before glyphosate will get banned. But glyphosate in its chemical structure is similar to amino acid glycine. Collagen is very rich in this amino acid. So glyphosate replaces this amino acid in the molecules of collagen because it's chemically more powerful than glycine is. It pushes glycine out and puts itself into the molecules of collagen. And of course, but the immune system cannot be fooled. It can see that. It can see that this is not a proper molecule of collagen. This is a contaminated, dirty molecule of collagen. And the dirt that is stuck on it is glyphosate. And it would launch autoimmunity against this, glyph- this, this collagen, and it will launch inflammation against this collagen. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of commercial products made out of collagen, such as capsules on supplements and capsules on drugs and other things, are contaminated by glyphosate. It is quite a considerable source of glyphosate. That is why in the GAPS diet and GAPS nutritional protocol, we look for proper clean animals from proper farms. That is a big, big issue, farming. I'm an organic farmer. I have been an organic farmer for the last eight years because working with food as medicine, you realize at a certain point you cannot trust anyone to produce your food. (laughs) The good news is, you know, this industrial chemical agriculture is, is telling us that we are feeding the world. And Western governments are repeating that. You know, they're just telling what they're told to say, basically. And it's not true. About 85% of humanity is not fed by industrial agriculture. It is fed by small subsistence farming because majority of humanity lives in third world countries. And these are the people who have a big garden behind their house and they have a goat in the garden and they have chickens running around. And, and they're using natural practices. They're using manure in the garden and they're using all the natural ways of, of, of growing food. So 85% of humanity are fed proper natural food and grow it in a sustainable way. Thank God for that. That's, what, that's, that's the, the people that are saving the planet. These are the people who are preserving the integrity and the health of our planet and the soils on our planet. Because industrial agriculture is destroying the planet and it's destroying the soils. We're losing our topsoils at an alarming rate in the Western world. In fact, majority of arable fields in the Western countries are deserts for all intents and purposes. It's a dead dust. If you don't put chemicals on it, nothing would grow on those soils at all. This is what local farmers are telling me. You know, local farmers in their 70s, 80s, they're all elderly people nowadays because young people don't want to do this anymore. They're telling me that if I don't put chemicals on my fields, nothing will grow on them at all. There are no worms. There is no life in that soil. It is a lifeless dust that just physically holds the roots in place. And all the nutrition for the plants comes from chemicals that are sprayed on the land. So the nutritional value of this produce coming from these fields is very low and it's full of chemicals. And then that is fed to animals in the industrial agriculture, in the industrial setting. 
and we get meat and milk and eggs from these poor, unfortunate animals and birds. And that is what is on the shelves of supermarkets. We need, ab- we need to abandon supermarkets if we want to be healthy, if we want to preserve our health. Because in every country, including Western countries, there are hundreds and hundreds of real farmers, proper farmers, who love their land. Every farm must be mixed. Monocultures are abhorred by nature. There are no monocultures in nature. There should not exist monocultures. Every farm, a real farm, should have all the animals and birds and bees and gardens and arable agriculture all in rotation. Because once you've taken a crop from the land, you have taken a lot of nutrition of that land. You've taken a lot out of the soil. You have to put then animals on that soil for at least a few months to restore the fertility of the soil. Because that is the role of farm animals, of cows and sheep and pigs and chickens and turkeys and geese and ducks. All of them, they all should be free-ranging. They should all be on pasture, not in sitting in some prisons, in some buildings, not seeing the light of day at all. No, they should all be grazing free in the open natural organic pastures, natural organic fields. And as the animals graze on these fields, they return nutrition back into the soil in their excrements. Their manure, their urine are precious gifts for the soil because they inoculate the soil with a balanced, healthy microbial community in its own nutritional medium of of digested grass, of digested vegetation. And that, that is the best, the best fertilizer for any soil. It is a natural, completely perfect fertilizer. And after a few months of grazing animals, then you can move the animals to the next field and you can grow another crop on that field. And that is what traditional farming, natural organic farming does. Everything's in rotation on the farm and every farm must be mixed. Every farm. And chickens need to be completely free-ranging everywhere because they, they do so much valuable work on the farm. They're amazing, chickens. The way they restore the microbial community in the soil with their digging and their activities and, you know, everything they do. That way you create, you have, have happy soil, happy, healthy soil. You have happy animals, happy birds, happy eggs, happy milk, happy meat, <laughs> you know, from happy animals. And as a result, you are happy if you eat food like that. There are farmers like that everywhere, in every country, and it's not so difficult to find them. The simplest thing to do is to go to a local farmer's market on the weekend, talk to these farmers, take their contact details, or you can find them online. There are many online websites now which list all these good farmers, and the most fantastic organization, international organization, which will provide you with plenty of that information, is Western A. Price Foundation. It's an American association, American organization, which has many, many chapters all over the world. It's international. And on its website, it has the list of all these organic natural farmers, proper farmers, which will provide you with proper food. I have many patients who live in cities. Of course, not all of us can become a farmer. No doubt about it. And what I recommend to my patients, and that's what they do in the cities, they, they find a farmer like that. They, they go to the farmer's market, they make contact, and they ask the farmer, can I visit your farm? A real organic farmer will welcome you with open arms. If the farmer says no, you want to say goodbye to that person and never say hello to them again. If he doesn't want you to come to the farm, that means the farm is full of chemicals, full of antibiotics, steroids, refrigerators full of drugs, and so on. You don't want to have anything to do with that. But a real farmer will always be happy to welcome you to come and visit his farm, always. So take a weekend, take your family, take your kids and have a lovely day out visiting a farm, visiting, looking at animals, looking at birds. And, and 
look that person in the eye, visit, meet the farmer, meet the wife, the farmer, meet, you know, the whole team in there. Look, are there any bags of chemicals lying about? Are there any refrigerators full of drugs in there, antibiotics and steroids? Are the, are the animals really, truly free-ranging? Are the chickens running around all over the place? You know, are the, are the pigs free-ranging? Are the cows on pasture? How it's all done? And once you found these farms that you, you trust and you know that this is proper food coming from proper land and proper healthy and happy animals, you start buying food directly from the farmer. These farmers are not subsidized by governments. The governments in the Western world subsidize industrial agriculture. And the money for the subsidies come from the agrochemical companies. It's a closed circle of circulating money. That's what it is. Western governments are a huge impediment and a huge pain for real farming in the world. They're trying to destroy the real farming. They make life of real farmers very, very difficult with their regulations and their meddling and interfering with their busybodying while helping the industrial agrochemical complex. So the only farmers in this organic sector who are surviving and doing very well are the ones who have a good customer base when they sell their produce directly to the consumers. So by buying directly from this farmer, you will be supporting a good person, a good farmer who is really caring for his farm and for this planet. And at the same time, you'll provide your family with proper real food, good food. So what these people do in the cities, once they find a few farms like that, they start driving once a week, getting all their weekly supply, their, their weekly supply of eggs, weekly supply of milk, weekly supply of meat and, and vegetables and whatever else you need. And you do that. Then eventually people start talking to family, friends. I put all my patients in touch with each other. They form cooperatives in the city where they take turns. You know, one person, one family drives and buys stuff for the whole cooperative, for the whole group, brings bring it into their apartment or their house in the city, and everybody then pops around to their place and picks up their bits and pieces. And that way you don't have to drive every weekend. There is a rotor. You know, somebody goes this week, somebody else goes next week, and, and, and so on. And when the cooperative becomes big enough, farmers are quite happy to deliver to one place in the city, to one house in the city. And then everybody can come and pick up their bits and pieces. So all it takes, it takes uh, getting organized in order to get real food from real people rather than just running to the supermarket. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. 
I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full-spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today, we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside, and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full-spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths, and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought... It was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. This is something I'm personally so, so passionate about. And for listeners who would like to learn more, I actually recently had Rob Wolf on the show for his book, Sacred Cow. For people who want to learn the really far-reaching implications of regenerative agriculture and the implications of a plant versus animal inclusive system for the future of our planet, I just think it's so important. So I can't thank you enough for educating and spreading that word. So things that we raise on the farms, animals versus plants, where do you stand? Because we haven't actually really talked about what foods are in the GAPS protocol yet. So I bring a lot of people on this show. Some people are, you know, very like carnivore, you know, very pro meat. Then some people are vegan. What are your thoughts on plant versus animal-based foods and how they affect the gut microbiome? 
Okay, I'm glad you, you touched on this subject because it's very important because the mainstream propaganda for vegetarianism is very strong at the moment. And it comes from Western governments. And of course, you know, Western governments are at the front behind them, pushing them to do that is the agrochemical industrial complex, industrial agriculture. Why? Because it is very profitable for the industrial chemical agriculture to produce plant matter. Extremely profitable. But it is very unprofitable and difficult for them to produce meat, milk and eggs, animal products. I won't go deep into that. So it is within their commercial interest to malign meat, to malign eggs and malign milk and dairy products, make pronounce them unhealthy and destroying the planet. And they've created so many lies. It's unbelievable. The lies that, that, that are circulating around the globe, that cows are causing global warming. Cows and other herbivorous animals on the planet have created life on Earth because they created the topsoil. Large, huge, huge, enormous herds of herbivorous, herbivorous animals have created topsoil. Topsoil is where all life begins and all life ends. Without topsoil, there will be no life on Earth. And if there will be no herbivorous animals, there will be no topsoil because it needs to be created all the time. And we are destroying it with our arable agri industrial agriculture. So I was getting all these anorexic girls in my clinic and uh, young people with bipolar disorder, with psychosis and with other mental illnesses and autoimmune illnesses. And very quickly after collecting the anamnesis, I realized that the person became ill because of vegetarianism. Because for whatever reason, they adopted vegetarianism in their teens. Some of them wanted to lose weight. Some of them were dancing. and wanted to become thinner. Somebody heard something else. Somebody watched a film about industrial uh, cafos, you know, confined animal factory operations, which are the most appalling cruelty that can be inflicted on any living creature. And uh, that forced them, pushed them into this idea of becoming a vegetarian and a vegan. And once they become vegan and vegetarian, they destroy their health and, and, and become mentally ill, these people. So that made me very interested. In the whole problem. So the first thing I decided to research the whole thing that happened a few years ago, and uh, I went to uh, basic sciences, the science of biology, physiology, anatomy, zoology, and clinical experience. My own clinical experience and clinical experience of my colleagues that I have many all over the world. And based on that experience, I have written a book called Vegetarianism Explained, Making an Informed Decision. So what I've explained in that I explained the basics, which are in the textbooks of basic sciences from 1930s, 40s, 50s. We know this, and we have known this from decent, honest science, which haven't been paid by some agrochemical company. You know? And the basic fact is that nothing on our beautiful planet can digest plant matter, nothing, apart from microbes. Only microbes are capable of digesting plants. Microbial communities. Let me repeat this. Nobody, not a cow, not a deer, not a goat, not, not a mouse, not a human, nobody can digest plant matter apart from microbes. I just learned, was it in your book about the termites? Like, so even termites use a microbiome to digest wood. Like people think that it's the termite, but it's not. It's not. No creature on this planet is capable of digesting plants apart from microbes. And it's this fact that Mother Nature used in creating a digestive system of a cow. 
or a deer, or a giraffe, or a goat, or a sheep, or another herbivorous animal. It equipped these animals with a huge multi-chamber stomach called a rumen. A cow has three stomachs called a rumen, full of microbes. The majority of her microbiome in the body lives in that stomach. So when she swallows a lump of grass that she chewed, it lands in those three stomachs. And she doesn't digest it herself. The microbes do that work for her in her rumen. And the interesting thing is that all the carbohydrates, about 70% of carbohydrates in the grass, are broken down and converted into short-chain fatty acids, which are fully saturated animal fat. So cows actually live on a very high-fat diet, <laughs> which, which comes from the grass, yes, which comes from this microbial community. And that's where cream comes in her milk, and the butter comes. It's, it's this, this beautiful fat that the microbes have created from grass for us. So... That's how cows digest, the same even with termites, and the same with insects, and the same with any animal that eats plant matter. We human beings don't have a rumen. We have a small stomach, which produces hydrochloric acid. And the acidity can be below 1 pH when we're hungry, definitely below 2. That is an extremely hostile environment to any microbe. That is why human stomach is, uh, has a, a minimal, absolutely minute microbial community that is barely holding on in there, barely surviving. So we definitely cannot digest plant matter. We don't even have microbes in our stomach to digest the plants for us. Plants are indigestible for the human beings. Our stomach cannot digest them. However, the hydrochloric acid and other elements of stomach juice are perfectly designed to digest, to unravel and digest meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Perfectly. These are the foods that are easy for us to digest. They digest very well, completely in our stomachs. And once they are digested, then they pass into the intestines, duodenum and the small intestine. And that is where the absorption of food happens. And the only food a human body can absorb is the food that has been properly digested, right? So what's been digested properly in the stomach then goes into intestines and gets absorbed. And that is what is feeding us. And just think about your body. You have big, heavy skeleton. You have big muscle mass. You've got a huge skin. You've got a big brain, big liver, big lungs, big heart. You know, all these other organs in your body. This is the physical structure of your body. What is this physical structure made of? 70% of everything on the planet is water, of all life forms on the planet is water. Remove water out of human body. What's left, the dry weight, is 50-50, protein and fat. When we analyze human protein in a laboratory, we find that in its biochemical structure, it's very similar, almost identical to proteins that we get from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. The same with fat, the other 50% of our dry weight. Human fat in its biochemical structure is extremely similar to fats that come from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. So your physical structure is built only out of foods, out of molecules that come from animal products, animal foods, because we can digest them, because we can absorb them, and because they are very compatible with our physical structure. And what we have to understand that human body renews itself all the time. Every cell in your body lives a short life. It, get, it works very hard, it gets worn out, it gets old, and it dies, gets removed, and it's replaced by a newly born baby cell. 
So human body every day produces trillions of new baby cells to maintain this process. It's a magical, beautiful process called cell regeneration. That's how human body perpetuates itself, renews itself, heals any damage, rejuvenates itself. And that's how children grow. Children need building materials not only for this maintenance of the human body, but for growth. So they need double amounts of protein and fat to the adult children, small children, growing children. So the only foods that build the physical structure of the human body and maintain the physical structure of the human body are animal foods. Because in order to give birth to trillions of baby cells every day, building materials are required, protein and fat. And the only foods that are capable of providing the right quality building materials for that process and for the growth in children as well are animal foods. So animal foods are particularly vital for pregnant women, for growing children, for people recovering from illness, for for people who are trying to conceive, for athletes who are spending huge amounts of, you know, their cell regeneration is very rapid in the body because they're damaging a lot of tissues through excessive exercise. So all of these people, you know, for healing, for, for, for perpetuation, we need that. So what are the plants for them? Why do we eat them at all? Plants do not feed us. They're indigestible for us. And on top of that, when we analyze proteins from plants and fats from plants, we find that in their biochemical structure, they're completely unsuitable for building our physical structure. Proteins in, in, proteins in particular are very problematic, plant proteins for human beings. The most researched protein is gluten. The more we're researching gluten, the more we're realizing nobody can digest gluten. It damages everybody. And modern varieties of hybrid wheat that the whole world is eating now, nowadays, we've abandoned the natural wheat that Mother Nature gave us and created these new hybrids because the yield is higher and profit is higher from this wheat. That's the only reason. Is 80 times higher percent of gluten in it. It has 80 times more, more gluten in it than the natural, natural breeds of wheat. No matter, no, no wonder everybody's allergic to gluten and everybody's reacting to gluten nowadays. So, apart from gluten, that is the most researched protein in plants. There are many, many other proteins in plants. And the more we're researching them, the more we're starting to call them anti-nutrients. There is a whole class of new chemicals that are being researched nowadays called anti-nutrients. The selectins, phytates, salicylates, phenols, and other substances in plants. And these substances are called anti-nutrients because they damage our human bodies. They damage our digestive system. They make the gut wall porous and leaky. They attack your collagen. They attack your joints. They attack many various tissues. They can cause autoimmunity. They can cause chronic inflammation in the body. They're really damaging. Why is that? Because plants can't run away. You see, plant is sitting in one place, rooted in one place. It can't run away. So if an animal comes and wants to eat it, it can't protect itself. So plants equip their leaves and their stems, and particularly their seed, with these anti-nutrients to make them damaging to the animal's digestive system. And animals instinctively know this. I have goats on my farm. We have fantastic milk from them. They're lovely animals, goats. And if you allow them to roam free, they would never eat one plant. They, they nibble, they, they eat a bit of this and a bit of that, and then they stop. No matter how much they might love this particular bush or this particular plant, they will just have a little bit, couple of mouthfuls, and then they move on. Because they know that if I eat too much of this, I'll get too many anti-nutrients of this particular. I need to get the balance. 
you know, and, and I can damage myself. When my grass goes to seed in July, my cow stops eating it. It just gives me this dirty look and she refuses to eat the grass because she knows that if she eats too much seed of the grass, she'll get a tummy ache. She'll get ill. Because seed in particular, seed of any plant, seeds are their babies. They don't they want them to grow. They don't want them to be eaten by something. So seeds are particularly equipped with anti-nutrients. They are particularly damaging for the human digestive system. We're not equipped to digest them. And that means grains, beans, legumes, all, all the rest of the legumes and, and pulses, nuts, seeds, oily seeds, all kinds of, uh, of seeds. People in traditional societies have realized that. That is why they would always allow microbes to digest the seed for them first before they put it in their mouths. Fermentation. All seed all over the world in traditional cultures is soaked first and then fermented or sprouted. Because during the process of fermentation, and particularly sprouting, when the seed starts growing a little shoot, it unravels its anti-nutrients, it destroys them. The anti-nutrients get destroyed. And at that point, the seed becomes far more digestible for us and it damages our digestive system much, much less. So many people who can't digest beans, for example, or peas or other seeds and grains, if you ferment them well first or sprout them first before you grind them or before you do anything or cook them or do anything else with them, they become far more digestible and, and much, much less damaging. So let's come back to vegetarianism. So why do we eat plants at all? If we can't digest them, if they do not feed us, the proteins in them are inappropriate for us. They cannot feed us. But plants are powerful cleansers. Many of these anti-nutrients, phenols in particular, and many other substances in plants, phytonutrients, they are powerful cleansers. They detoxify our bodies. They clean us on the inside. And they provide a bit of vitamin C and a bit of uh, folate and, and some other bits and pieces, I mean, uh, uh, minerals and some vitamins and, and other little cofactors. But the bulk of what your body is built from, the protein and the fat, they are unable to supply. They cannot build your body and they cannot maintain your physical structure where you live in. The only foods that can do that are animal products. So we eat plants to keep clean on the inside. And if we combine the two, if we combine the animal foods and the plants, then we not only feed our bodies well, but we keep clean on the inside as well. So working with my patients, what we have to understand with the GAPS patients in particular, the more damaged your digestive system is, the less it is capable of handling plant matter. Because all plants are damaging for human digestive system. They're indigestible and they damage us, all of us. If you digest, the more robust and strong and healthy your digestive system, the more plant matter you can handle. The more damaged your digestive system is, the less plant matter you can handle. And I became particularly aware of this some years ago when a mother from America contacted me who had a three-week-old three baby, newborn baby, three or four weeks old, who was exclusively breastfed, little girl, vomiting diarrhea, vomiting diarrhea. The child was losing weight, just, just dying right in front of everybody. The doctors did tests and found that the baby is allergic to all proteins on the planet. So the mother was told to stop breastfeeding and the baby was put on an elemental formula from soya, made from soya, where proteins are broken into single amino acids. So the baby was alive, but that's all that could, could be said. No more that could be said. The baby was still vomiting, 
There was still diarrhea. She was still losing weight. She was still dying in, in front of everybody else. The diagnosis, this is a, a fairly new diagnosis, but it's becoming an epidemic amongst our babies. It's called FPIES, food-induced protein enterocolitis syndrome. So these children have such damaged digestive system. All proteins absorb undigested. It's just, it's just like a sieve. The gut wall is like a sieve. Proteins don't have any chance to be digested properly before they absorb. They absorb undigested and as a result cause reactions and cause problems in the body. So to help this mother, I knew that plant matter would be an absolute no-no for this baby. Because plants just, you know, this baby would not be able to, to handle plant matter. So we started with meat stock, pure beef stock, because she could find some good organic, clean, pasture-raised beef. So we started with beef stock. And the more collagen there is in the stock, the better. That is why in gaps, we make meat stock. We don't make bone broth. Please understand that. There is a difference between bone broth and meat stock. In gaps, we use meat stock. These are the recipes described in my book. There is a confusion in this area between people because they, they get their information from different sources and they don't read the recipes in my book. <laughs> Please read those recipes. What is the difference between the meat and the bone broth? I know that that is, like you said, a huge source of confusion and debate on the internet. <laughs> meat stock, you take a chunk of animal. The problem is, in the Western world, the butchers are taught to dissect the meat remove the muscle, pure muscle, and throw everything else away. Because everything else is considered to be a waste and a rubbish, and nobody wants it, and nobody needs it, and they don't want to pay for it. They just want pure muscle. Because when you say the word meat to people in the Western world, they see pure muscle of the animal. And that is a big, 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 big mistake. Because if you look at your own body, remember three quarters of your body is collagen? The same in the cow, the same in the sheep, the same in the pig, the same in the chicken. Three quarters of their body is collagen. It's the bones, it's the joints, it's the fascias, it's the capsules, it's all those sheaths for nerves and then blood vessels and all these elastic, you know, tissues and bits and pieces. And that's what we want. So when we make a meat stock, we take a chunk of animal with nothing dissected and nothing removed. So if it's a leg of an animal, it's a whole leg with a bone in the middle, bone marrow in there, all the fascias, all the ligaments, everything. And the joint is the best. You know, if there are feet of the animal, or spine of the animal with all the meat on it, all the, all the tissues, soft tissues on it. If it's a pig, we want skin of the pig and we want feet of the pig and we want the head of the pig. The tail is absolutely amazing. Ox tail, you know, or, or pig's tail, any other. So we want collagenous bits of animal with all the collagen, all the tissues, all the blood vessels, all the nerves in there. All the immune, immune lymph nodes and other bits and pieces, all the, you know, everything. And then we put that in a pan, we cover it with water. You know, for a piece of meat, you want maybe double volume of water of that piece of meat. So whatever volume that piece of meat takes, you want double of water in that. And then we add salt, pepper. You can throw a few vegetables if you like in there or some spices if you like, the natural spices. And you cook it for two, three hours, maybe four hours maximum. A chicken usually an hour and a half, lamb, couple of hours, beef and pork maybe three hours. And the resulting bouillon, the resulting stock is delicious and it's usually clear. You strain it out and the meat that you've made it with falls off the bone and it's delicious. You serve it for dinner. You eat it as it is and you eat particularly all the 
gelatinous, collagenous tissues in there because that's what your gut lining from uh, is made from, from collagen. You need, and it's being destroyed by abnormal gut flora, by autoimmunity, by inflammation. It's being dismantled, your collagen in your body. It needs to be rebuilt. You need to pile collagen into your body to rebuild, to give building materials to your body to rebuild your physical structure, majority of which is collagen. So that's the kind of meat stock we started with this baby. But let me just digress to the bone broth. What is a bone broth? Bone broth is a poor man's meat stock. People in, in poor communities for centuries, they could not afford just throw away the bones. After they've cooked the chunk of animal, they ate all the meat, they scraped the bones like a piranha. You know, there's no soft tissues, nothing left, just a bare, shiny bone. You know, they couldn't afford to throw those bones away. And in, on, on a proper animal, a bone is so hard, even a dog can't handle it. A wolf can't handle that bone. They just leave it. It's, it's, it's very, very hard. It's like a rock. So what people do with that, with these bones nowadays, they accumulate them in a freezer. They freeze these bones left from their meals. And then when there is enough to fill a slow cooker, a crock pot, you know, the electric pan that, li- that works on low voltage, it's, it's inexpensive to run. You fill it up with water and you add vinegar to it or you squeeze a lemon into it. You want some acidity, acid added into that water in order to dissolve calcium in the bones, to release minerals into the water. And amino acids are released into, water, into the water. And you cook those bones for two, three days, minimum 12 hours. And that is bone broth. It's, it's rich in minerals, it's rich in amino acids, very rich. But in gaps, we need much more than that. We need collagen. We need glucosamine. We need gelatin. We need glycoproteins and all, all these other substances that come from the soft tissues, not only from the bone. Bone broth, I do not recommend for GAPS patients in the first year of treatment, minimum, sometimes even longer than that, because it's too high in amino acids, too high in minerals, particularly in glutamic acid, and people with mental illness in particular can react to that very unfavorably. It can be quite a, an unfavorable reaction. So we do not start with bone broth. We start with meat stock. And in order to make a meat stock, you buy a whole chicken, you put that whole chicken in a pan, you cover it with water, salt, pepper, cook it for an hour and a half, there's your meat stock. Or you put a couple of pigeons, or you put a couple of pheasants, or guinea fowl, or a goose, or a duck, or a leg of pork, or a leg of lamb, or a you know chunk of animal, off cuts with bones. Bones are very important, joints are very important, cartilage is very important. All these sort of tissues are very, very important. So let's come back to this little baby. So we put her on the meat stock, and we then added raw egg yolks, and then we added homemade goat's kefir to her fermented goat's milk, and the baby started recovering. Vomiting stopped, diarrhea stopped. She started putting weight on slowly, 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 gradually, and then rosy cheeks came back, and she started developing this little girl. and. After a year of this, she was rosy cheek, bushy, bushy tail, developing normally, healthy, young, beautiful, beautiful little toddler. Then we tried a bit of a vegetable, literally a microscopic amount of courgette, deseeded, de-skinned, cooked very, very well. Diarrhea returned. And every time we tried any variety of plant matter with this little girl, diarrhea returned. And she would get ill again. She could not handle plants. And that went on for four years. The child was living entirely on animal foods. Not a speck from plant kingdom 
could be given to her because it just destroyed her digestive system immediately because plants are indigestible. And if the digestive system is so damaged, and these children are like canaries in the mind, their digestive system is in such damage to such an extreme end, they cannot handle any plant matter at all. So this little girl lived on a no-plant GAPS diet, and that's a variety of GAPS diet that I've described in my second GAPS book and the Garden Physiology book for four years. And then what we did, we fermented some courgette and some garlic for five months until it just literally turned into a mush. Fermentation predigests plant matter. The bacteria, the microbes, they break down all the tough fiber and starch and whatever else there is in plants that's indigestible. All the anti-nutrients get destroyed. It's a predigested vegetable. Then we took literally a microscopic amount of that vegetable and we cooked it in a cup of meat stock. Cooked it very well for half an hour. And we gave her a teaspoon of that soup. And she survived it. And that's how we introduced plant matter to her. We started from fermented courgette, then we introduced fermented garlic, and then we introduced fermented onions, I remember, and then something else fermented. So once she started tolerating good amounts of fermented vegetables and then cooked very well, we started cooking them a bit less so she could have them less cooked, fermented vegetables. And it took us about a year to introduce a few vegetables into her regimen without stimulating diarrhea and vomiting in this child. Now, today, she is a healthy little girl. And this mother is a wonderful lady. She was in communication with lots of other parents with babies with the same situation. She created a group online for FPI's children. And now we have a very large group of families who are treating their babies this way. And they're all recovering beautifully without any drugs, without any formulas, without anything. So these children, and then I got children with ulcerative colitis that I tried this no plant gaps diet. Beautiful recoveries. We come off all medications, all inflammatory markers disappear. Diagnosis is removed. Children just recover from ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease without plants at all. And then quite a few of my patients with mental illness have chosen this form of GAPS diet to stay on it without any plant matter. And they've recovered completely from their mental illnesses. And they do not even dare to touch any plants. They say, I'm perfectly happy to live without plants at all. So these patients have taught me that human beings can live without plant matter perfectly well. Very healthy people, functioning beautifully, working, lovely energy, you know, playing children, playing football, playing tennis, have friends, excelling in school. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful outcomes. So these patients taught me that human beings can live perfectly well without plants at all. But my other patients taught me that human beings cannot live without animal foods. Veganism is not a diet. It is a form of fasting. You are not feeding your body at all to any degree. All, you, all you're doing is cleansing, 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 and cleansing, and cleansing. Fasting is a very good way of cleansing the body and recovering from uh, severe illnesses. They have been uh, centuries, I don't know, millennia of episodes described where people recovered from all sorts of chronic serious diseases through fasting eating nothing at all, drinking water, or eating just one fruit, or just drinking milk, or eating a limited variety of something. Various forms of fasting exist in the world, around the world, and have been described. And veganism is one of those varieties of fasting. So when you start 
a vegan protocol. It should not be called a diet because it's not a diet. It's a form of fasting. And when people go on vegan regimen, a cleaner body feels always better than a toxic body. And the first improvements that people get in their health, and they get improvements, of course, in the first few weeks, they get dramatic improvements. These improvements come not because you're eating lots of plant matter, but because you've removed all the major offenders. You've removed chocolate muffins, bread, pasta, sugar, soft drinks, breakfast cereals, and other junk. You've removed and, and vegetable oils. You have removed the worst offenders that cause every disease in the world. That's why people start feeling better. Not because they're eating lots of carrots and bananas. Not at all. But then, as they continue eating only plant matter, they're cleansing their body, they're removing toxicity, so the body feels better as a result. But then at a certain point, the body will finish cleansing. And it will give you a signal. I finished cleansing. Feed me now. I'm hungry. The way the body will give you this signal, it will give you a desire, a huge desire for a roast chicken, for bacon, for bacon and eggs, for a pot of cream, for a piece of cheese, or a piece of fatty meat, or something like that, a belly pork, or, or, or something like that. Problem is, many vegans do this for political reasons, emotional reasons, other reasons, and Within these first few weeks of veganism, they've already written blogs and written books and convinced everybody that veganism is the way to go. <laughs> and uh, they feel that there's no way out of it. There's no way back. So they don't listen to their body. When the body is asking to be fed, they override that signal and they force the body to continue cleansing. They force themselves to continue being a vegan. And at that point, the body has no choice but to start breaking down less important tissues to feed more important organs. So the person starts losing bone mass and muscle mass to feed the heart, the brain, the lungs, the liver, and other vital organs. The person starts losing muscles and starts losing bones. And if this process continues longer, then the person starts developing degenerative disease. And I have seen too many of these young people and these patients who destroy themselves for veganism. Destroy themselves finish up with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder, with epilepsy, with anorexia, with Lyme disease, with uh, chronic infectious mononucleosis, with chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalitis, multiple sclerosis, God knows what. Really, you know, and reversing that process is much more difficult than causing it, than starting it. And cancer is usually the end result of long-term veganism. Cancer of the blood, particularly leukemias. You know, cancer of the blood and neurological illnesses because the brain is particularly hungry for protein and for fat. And the kind of protein and fat the brain needs can only come from animal foods. They do not come from plants. So people need to understand that. So if somebody is very toxic, the body's accumulated lots of toxicity, the person's overweight, going on a vegan fast is a good idea for a month, maybe three weeks, four weeks, no more than 40 days. 40 days is maximum. You will lose weight, you will feel better, you will cleanse your body, you will remove a lot of toxicity, lots of diseases and symptoms will leave you. Wonderful, fantastic. But then you need to start feeding yourself. You need to listen to your body to give you that signal. All of us met people who boast in the vegan community. Oh, I've been a vegan 20 years, look at me. Kind of thing, you know. Look at me, I'm perfectly healthy, perfectly good, perfectly this, that and the other. <laughs> and. Uh, Initially, I wondered as well, because I met people like that. And then this boy arrived to me from Edinburgh, a lovely young boy. 
And he told me a story. He said, I was a vegan for four weeks and I was walking along the streets of Edinburgh, distributing leaflets about veganism. And the smell of roasted chicken wafted out of a shop. And he said, I went into some kind of trance. I walked into the shop. I bought a whole roasted chicken. I came outside. I sat on the pavement and I consumed the whole chicken. And then he said, I came out of this trance and I was so ashamed of myself. And since then, he said, I've never told this to anyone. I've never you know, mentioned this to any soul in the world. You're the first person that I mentioned this to. Then I met another person who told me the same story. Then another vegan who told me the same story. And then I met a lady who was a recovering vegan who's writing a book about this phenomenon. What actually happens to these people? When they get into such starvation, the body is so hungry, so starving, what it would do, it would shut down your conscious mind and force you to eat animal foods. You will go into this kind of trance and you will binge on meat on bacon, on eggs, and that can go on for a few hours or even for a few days. And then people come out of that trance after the body got what it needs, got you know enough resources to survive. Then the person comes out of this trance. And because these vegans already invested into their veganism so much, they block that. Many of them actually even don't remember these episodes. They just block it out. It's a, it's a, it's a well-known phenomenon in psychology when a person blocks out a painful memory. Of some sort, particularly when their reputation depends on blocking that out. <laughs> Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels, and I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me 
Oh my goodness, friends, I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. I had Dr. Paul Saladino on the show and he's a big figure in the carnivore movement. And in his book, he talks about some studies on the brain where I don't remember the exact terminology of what they were testing, but basically they were looking at either vegan or vegetarians and omnivores and their brain's response to seeing animal products. And the vegetarians or vegans, consciously, the parts of their brain didn't light up for desire for the animal products, but subconsciously, it still lit up. Basically, their bodies were desiring the animal products, but consciously, they were not aware of that desire, which it's really fascinating. What about populations like Loma Linda, which is one of the longest-lived population and apparently are vegetarian or vegan? There are no such populations. Wesley Price, a wonderful man. You know, anybody who never heard of this person, please research this person and please join the Wesley Price Foundation. It's an amazing group of people. The world is a better place because there is Wesley Price Foundation in the world. Wesley Price traveled around the world at the time, at the beginning of the 20th century, the 1930s, 
when indigenous cultures still existed on our planet. Cultures where Western civilization hasn't got to them yet. They ate and they lived exactly the same way their predecessors lived for thousands of years. So he traveled to most remote areas of the world and he traveled all around the globe. He's been in, 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 on every continent in most places. And he recorded their health and they recorded their diet and he recorded their lifestyle. What he found that all of these indigenous cultures had very different diets because they lived in different environments and they ate what was available to them in, in their environment from both the animal kingdom and the, the plant kingdom. And all of them were healthy and didn't have any diseases of our modern uh, civilized world. Perfect teeth, perfect childbirth, painful, painless childbirth. A woman would be, you know, working, doing whatever she's doing, then stop for five minutes, give birth to a child, hang that child on her back and continue working. <laughs> As if nothing has happened. You know, that, that's how it's supposed to be, apparently. And uh, no mental illness, happy, healthy people, no depression, very cheerful people, you know, joyful people. He was specifically Western Price. He, was, he, he traveled for 10 years like that, recording and collected, amassed a huge library of scientific data. Tests, blood tests, photographs, descriptions. It's amazing. There is an archive of Weston Price and Pottinger uh, archives in California, which keeps all this scientific data and looks after it. So he was specifically looking for a vegan culture around the globe a culture which lived entirely on plants. He didn't find one. Everywhere, in every environment, people ate a mixture, a mixture of animal foods and plants, everything they could find in the local environment or catch in the local environment. And in every culture, people particularly prized animal products and spent maximum energy on getting fish, collecting eggs, milking animals, hunting animals, or, or, or uh, grow, growing animals, looking after animals. And most plant matter was fermented, fermented or sprouted, and ate in that uh, shape and form. And, and there is even in the indigenous uh, cultures of Sudan in Africa, there is even a saying, a traditional saying that they've been repeating for thousands of years, that the one who doesn't eat fermented foods should expect disease. That's a proverb, <laughs> the national, national proverb. And in every culture, people knew that plants should be eaten as a supplement to meat, that the most important piece on your plate is the meat or the eggs or the fish or, or the dairy product. That is the most important thing. And he describes a very interesting island in the Pacific where there was a big mountain. It was a mountainous island. And the, the population of the island was divided into two groups. They people who lived by the shore of the sea, and they fished and they ate a lot of seafood, these people. And they were very, very healthy and happy people. And then people who lived in the hills, that was the second group, where there were no animal products at all. They just had fruit, lots of fruit because it was tropical, lots of tropical fruit and some crops they grew there. So they had plant matter, only these people. And every week they would come to the coast and exchange their fruit and their plants with the fish from the coastal people. So they would take fish up the hill and bring the plant matter for the, for the coastal people. But periodically, you know, when there were storms or they couldn't get enough fish for whatever reason, when there was no season or whatever, they would get very hungry. And then they would run down to the coast, would kill the coastal people and eat them. They would, they would become cannibals, these people. They would eat them. And apparently they always targeted a fisherman 
because they knew that fishermen ate more fish than other people and that their their organs were particularly nourishing, <laughs> that they would get more nourishment from a fisherman <laughs> than, than from another person. In the uh, wonderful book of Wesley Price, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, Wesley Price describes an interview that he took from one of these fishermen on that island who was in hiding because he said that, you know, I was given the news that the, the hill people have targeted me as the next victim. So I'm hiding, he said, <laughs> from them. So this, this example just shows what can happen to a human being when the human being is very hungry, truly hungry. And the true hunger is always for animal foods, not for plants. Never, never for plants. Only for animal foods, the true hunger. And when human beings can become truly hungry, they can turn to cannibalism. They can turn to anything. So what are your thoughts on the fact that things like fasting tend to promote longevity because they upregulate all these genetic expressions, like you said, of repair rather than growth. But might there be a correlation then to, like if a vegan diet were sustainable to longevity because it's constantly sending the genetic signals for repair rather than growth? Longevity is a hoax. Every human being has an expiry date stamped on our forehead when we are born. That is what I'm told by some spiritual masters that I'm working with. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very privileged to know some spiritual masters. These are people who are not visible. They're not, they don't advertise themselves. They lead very ordinary lives usually. But they know things, these people. They're, they're spiritual masters. And what they're telling me that every one of us, before we are born, has an expiry date on us already. When your moment to die comes, that's your moment to die, no matter what you do. So longevity is a hoax. You will die when it is your time to die. So you might as well relax about it <laughs> and, and, and stop, stop chasing longevity and stop chasing that concept. Real beauty is health shining through your skin. And the same at any age. It's at any age. If you maintain yourself in good health by eating properly, by sleeping enough, by not stressing yourself, by loving the world, by filling yourself with good vibrations and good feelings and good emotions, then you will shine at any age and you will look youthful at any age and beautiful at any age. There is no need to put any effort into looking younger or living longer because you're not going to live longer a moment than when, when your moment is to die. Yeah, that was one of the really fascinating things that you ended the book with was the concept of entropy and how it relates to life and death. I had never really thought about it in that way. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Entropy is a, a, a wonderful phenomenon that has been researched by physics. Now we have a new physics, biophysics. That is an amazing, fascinating science. If I was 17 years old right now, I would go into biophysics. <laughs> I would, I would want to be a biophysicist. I would like to... Me too. <laughs> ...to study that science. It's an absolutely amazing science. So what entropy is, basically, what it says, that everything in this world is ruled by this, this force of entropy, which is the destructive force. Because everything jiggles. You know, all the molecules, all electrons on the atomic level, nuclear level, all of it is jiggling. Everything is vibrating, gyrating and, and, and jiggling. And this jiggling uh, produces a lot of energy. And this energy cannot be harnessed. It, it's wasted, this energy. 
And, and that's called the entropy. You see, that's the second law of thermodynamics that says that we cannot capture this energy, it's just wasted. And this phenomenon is particularly well known in, in computing because every computer heats up and that heat is lost. So a lot of energy is lost. That's the force that destroys, turns the rocks into sand eventually, you know, and that's the force that, you know, destroys every human invention and every dead thing, everything in the world that is not living, not an alive thing, you know. No matter how shiny or beautiful anything we manufacture when it leaves the factory, eventually it will become old and worn out, it will fall apart. You know, you buy your car and it's nice and shiny and it's driven out of the factory. And uh, next week you have to repair something and then repair something else and eventually it falls apart. Every human invention, everything we do, all of it falls apart. And that is the law of entropy. It, it, it's a force of destruction that is, is dominating this material world. And this force only affects dead things, living things, alive things. Let's start from the top. Human beings, animals, birds, insects, microbes, viruses, plants, you know, anything that's alive, that is living, has a force in it, a living force that resists entropy. Entropy cannot take over us. It doesn't, it, it, it's not allowed because there is a living force inside us that pushes it out and, and doesn't allow it. And we should study this living force because there is a difference between dead objects and living objects. And the first research that was done was done by a group of scientists who were studying death. What happens at the moment of death? There's a body of a human being, let's say, who is breathing, the heart is beating, the person is talking, the person is resisting entropy. You know, the human body is not falling apart. It's, it's, it's aging, but aging has nothing to do with entropy. Aging is just a complex hormonal program that we follow from conception to the moment of death. You know, from conception, this hormonal program evolves us from a baby into a child, and then the child goes through puberty, and then we go through a middle of our lives when we procreate and produce new uh, children. And then after we've done that, then we age and eventually reach the moment of death. That is a, a, a programmed hormonal program that we go through. It has nothing to do with entropy. Your body is perpetuating itself, renewing itself, maintaining itself all the way until the moment of death. And then the moment of death happens, literally a second after that moment, a second before then, there was no entropy in the body. As soon as the death happened, entropy moves in. From that moment on, you know, a second after death, the body is still warm, the nails are still growing, even the hair is still growing, the heart is not beating anymore, the person is not breathing anymore, but the entropy moves in. The decay begins the body starts falling apart. And depending on the ambient temperature, it can fall apart within days, literally. It can start decaying and falling apart and rotting within days, and eventually it turns into soil, from dust to dust, as, as they say in Christianity. So the scientists ask, well, what, what happens at the moment of death? Why, before death, this magnificent machine called a human body or an animal body or a body of a bird or a body of a microbe or, you know, or any other living or plant, for that matter, a tree, let's say, why until the moment of birth this creature was resisting entropy and entropy could not move in, could not do anything, this universal force of destruction could not move into this body, could not destroy it. 
What happens at the moment of birth that entropy moves in and takes over and destroys it? And it happens to a human body, to an animal body, to a tree that just died, or any plant that just died. They just decay and, and turn into dust, turn into soil, into the pool of materials that other life forms can grow from. So what happens at that moment? And we have now many measurements and we have some research coming in because there are some rebels in science, people who do research this, this, this sort of things. There is a living force in us. Through, through ages, people called it different things. You can call it spirit, you can call it soul, you can call it God. And so at the moment of birth, what at the moment of death, what happens? This living force leaves. It moves into a pregnant woman at the beginning of pregnancy, into her womb, takes over, and through curling photography, we now have photographs, we have pictures, where at the age of 12 weeks of pregnancy in a woman, there is a, a, a picture superimposed on her lower abdomen of a fully developed baby. Because curling photography photographs the spectrum of the light that is invisible to human eye. It can photograph other, other spectrums. And by photographing that, they see a picture of a fully developed baby superimposed. It's a matrix that gets superimposed on the womb of the woman. That is a program, a matrix. And all the cells that the placenta produces, the, the fertilized egg produces in the womb of the woman, they're clones. They're absolutely identical, the cells. They have no differentiation whatsoever. They're absolutely identical twins. They all just, just, you know, the, the placenta, the, the, the fertilized egg just keeps dividing, 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 producing these clones, these stem cells, they're called. But then these stem cells are fitted into this matrix, superimposed onto the womb of the woman. And it's this matrix that dictates to the cell. Now, you will be a cell of the brain. You will be a, you'll become a liver. You'll become skin. You'll become bone. And these stem cells, who were all clones and completely identical, start changing and differentiating and becoming a cell of the brain or a cell of the liver or a cell of the bone. So where does this matrix come from? Where does this fully formed matrix come from? It usually comes in the first trimester of pregnancy. And uh, this is the living force that moves into the woman. This is a soul according to spiritual teachings from different places of the world, according to spiritual masters, that we choose our parents. And then our spirit moves into the womb of a pregnant woman that we've chosen to be our mother. And then the spirit superimposes its picture, its matrix on the womb, and the spirit creates a body for itself to live in. And the spirit fills the body, and it actually is beyond the body. It's outside the body. It's much, much bigger than, than the body, the physical body. And it's the spirit that maintains the, the life of the body and maintains its hormonal balance and personality of this, the behavior of this person, everything. It's, it's a unique individual as a result due to this spirit, due to this living force. And this fo living force is immensely powerful. It resists entropy. It doesn't let entropy close. This universal force of destruction that dominates the material world is not allowed because the spirit is living in there and it says, you know, this is my home and you're not welcome. And only at the moment of death, when the spirit leaves, when the living force, that spirit, finished this lifetime and it leaves, it goes where it came from. And once it's left, then the body is left to the mercy of entropy. And entropy gleefully moves in immediately 
and decays that body and turns it into the, the dust, from which back to the elements of this material world, from which another spirit can build its own body. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot more than was in the book. That was really, really incredible. I'm just so fascinated by, by all of it. Like I was raised very religious and I'm also very much, I know they're often posited as a dichotomy, clearly very much into the sciences and everything. But the more I study and learn, the more I just realize, I just think we can't even remotely grasp <laughs> anything really about reality. And But the more we study, like with everything that you were mentioning with the studies they do showing like the mirror images and the womb and things like that, like I think the more we do science, the more it actually reveals these mysteries to be the very true state of being. We have ways of researching this. We already have quite a few. It's, it's, it's because it's a partisan research. It's an underground research because the mainstream science, which is, by the way, ruled by commercial powers of the world. Let's be just frank about this. You know, it's, 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 it's all money. It's money. So these scientists have to work sort of in a partisan fashion and almost in a hidden fashion. But they do have methods of researching this. And there's quite a bit of research already amassed. And there are some fascinating books written on this subject. And there's an interesting, very, very fascinating research. You know, there's a a wonderful Russian scientist that just passed away recently who spent a lifetime researching this. He was researching the quantum print of every human being. We all have a quantum print that he could measure. He learned to measure that. He could measure it and he could do this. I have so many questions for you, but I want to be respectful of your time. And for listeners, you have to get the GAPS books. There's there's so much information in there. And there's actually, we didn't even talk about this. You have multiple different versions of the GAPS. You have the intro diet, the full, the no plant, the keto, the more plant, the liquid. And those are all very specific protocols. And the protocols itself, just to give listeners a general idea, they're very specific and very outlined. So if you're looking for, it's not like just, you know, a food list and (laughs) and then you're done. There's steps to everything. There's methods of cooking. It dives deep into fermentation, into things like the role of dairy. It's just a wealth of information. So cannot recommend enough that listeners get it. Is there anything you wanted to mention specifically about the actual protocols for listeners that are interested in trying them? Well, what we need to understand that there is a place for every form of healing in the world. And our mainstream medicine, as misguided it can be, has its place. It's developed excellent ways of saving our lives when it comes to it. So if you, God forbid, you got hit by a bus, you wouldn't want an ambulance to take you to a homeopath, would you? No. You, you need mainstream medicine and you need it fast because they know how to save your life when something like that happens, something drastic, life and death situation, acute situation. However, when it comes to chronic, long-term conditions, a mainstream doctor is probably the last person you want to go to. You have to avoid them because they have no idea what causes chronic diseases. They have no idea how to address the root cause of the disease. All they will do for you They will sell you drugs to suppress your symptoms and drive the disease deeper and make it more chronic and make it eventually more destructive for you. So if that suits your agenda, if that's what you want, and some people do, they don't want to recover from the disease, they just want to suppress symptoms, then perhaps that's what you want. But if you want to address the root cause of your disorder and really get rid of it, it is the alternative you need to look at. And the alternative is that every chronic disease, mental or physical, every single one of them, in my opinion, 
is born in the gut. They come out of the gut. So GAPS diet is the baseline treatment for every chronic disease. I really have no exceptions. For a while, I thought that cancer was an exception until one of my GAPS practitioners put me right. I've been training health practitioners all over the world for more than 10 years now. We have an online training platform called gapstraining.com where you can get trained. And not only medical practitioners can get trained, but people who are not trained in medicine, who medical practitioners can train now. We have various training courses there. So please have a look at that if you're interested. And uh, one of my trained GAPS practitioners put me right. She cured her husband from the worst form of melanoma with GAPS diet, a melanocytic melanoma. He's a beautiful, healthy man, you know, and, and he was diagnosed 12 years ago and alive and kicking and clear of the diagnosis. So she put me right. So even cancer now is not an exception for the GAPS diet. So all diseases begin in the gut, and you need to start healing any disease, whether you have digestive symptoms or not. You have to start healing the gut first in order to address the root cause of every disease. Really quick note to the cancer. I've also interviewed Dr. Jason Fung, and he wrote The Cancer Code, which is his newest book. And thinking about it in that perspective, basically his overall idea is that cancer is caused because cells get damaged to such an extent where they're not repaired by the body, but also aren't eradicated by the body. So then they have to go rogue and develop the traits of cancer. That would fall exactly in line with what you're saying, because if the gut is creating a state of toxicity, which is leading to the cellular damage on a chronic level, <laughs> that would be a causative factor. I explained cancer in the second GAPS book, in the Gut and Physiology book. I don't know how much time we've got. I explained cancer there. Cancer cells are hybrids. They are only partially human. Because the role of microbes in nature, microbes are our friends. They're not our enemies. You know, the mainstream, because it wants to sell you all these antimicrobial chemicals, made out of oil, crude oil, basically, including antibiotics, they vilified microbial community of the planet. Microbes are our friends, with, with very, very tiny, tiny, tiny exceptions. All of, all of them are our friends. And their main purpose in nature is to clean dirty places. If your body, body accumulated a bunch of toxins, chemicals, you know, from your personal care products, from your redecorating materials in the house, from electromagnetic pollution from all the human activity. We, we filled our environment with toxicity. Once you accumulate a bunch of toxins in the body, and if your immune system, if your body itself cannot handle it, cannot clean this rubbish out, basically, it would employ microbes to do the work for it. And in fact, it always does. We are full of microbes. We are descending from microbes. Our bodies have descended from microbes. Microbes are everywhere in your own body. They don't come from outside. Every microbial disease, every infection arises from within your own body. Most of them. They don't come from outside. <laughs> they arise from within you. And uh, when there is a bunch of toxins like that, immediately in that lump of toxicity, fungi will grow. The first, because the basis of every microbial community are fungi. We are full of fungi, beneficial fungi, normal fungi in, in the human body, microscopic fungi. They grow into that lump of toxicity. Then along this fungal network that is created in there, bacteria make their little villages and towns and homes because the fungi are about 100 times bigger than the, the size of bacteria. 
Then the viruses build their own little houses and, and villages and homes and, and uh, hamlets around bacteria. Then protozoa move in, and it's a microbial community that's created in that lump. And then the immune system, if it cannot, and then the body, if it wants these microbes to do the work for it, would build a capsule of protein around that lump of toxicity to make sure that the immune system can't see it because it's your own protein. The immune system leaves them alone, doesn't touch them, doesn't kill them. It, it allows them to proliferate in there in order to eat up all that toxicity, to neutralize it, to remove it from you. But if toxicity keeps coming and keeps coming, keeps coming, that microbial community can't cope. And what happens in that situation then, the fungi and bacteria and other creatures in, in that area, they have a free market of genetics, microbes. Microbes have a free market of genetics. They throw genes out of their own bodies into the environment and pick up genes of other creatures and take them within themselves. That's called pleomorphism. It's a, it's a fascinating subject, and it, it goes on in every microbial community all the time. What, so, so microbes exchange genetics all the time. And apparently they do the same with our human cells. So what they start doing with the cells, which are, which are poisoned in that lump of toxicity in there, they start exchanging genetics. So fungi will put their genetics into that cell, and the cell will throw out some genetics you know, for, for the fungi to pick up. So these cells with mixed genetics then start producing babies. So they become hybrids. They're partially half, half fungal and half human. And the more that cell divides, the more it becomes fungal and less it becomes human. And fungi produce their cells very fast. They multiply much, much, much faster than human cells do. They have a different metabolism. They love sugar. And they use alcoholic fermentation. And they hate oxygen. You know? All the, all, the, all the characteristics of a cancer cell. So cancer cells are not human. They are partially yours and they're partially fungal or bacterial or viral. They have genetics from microbes. and So they're hybrids. They're Frankensteins. And they pick up the ability of microbes to reproduce very, very fast. That is why cancer cells reproduce very, very fast. And that is why they do not respond and they don't behave like human cells. And the human body rejects them because human body knows that this is not mine. This is kind of some, some hybrid. So it rejects them. And uh, that, that is what cancer is, basically. That is so fascinating. I'm so glad you discussed that. And I'm glad you touched on, because one of the things I wanted to ask you was the correlation between like heavy metals and fungal overgrowth. And I know so many people, people are haunted by this idea of being sick with candida. And I think a lot of people go on really intense antifungal diets and it's a whole, it's a whole rabbit hole and world of things that people struggle with. But you talk about in the book how, you know, the body allows candida to proliferate because it's feeding on these metals and cleaning us up. And uh, there's just a lot going on there. It's more complicated than I think we think. Oh, yes. It's far more complicated than that. Fungi are our friends. Candida is our friend. If it's overgrown in your body, there is a reason for it. And you might not want to attack the fungi because the result of that can be much worse than what the fungi are doing to you. Yep. So again, for listeners, all the information is in the GAPS books. I can't thank you enough for writing them. This ties in very well with something that you talk about all throughout the book. It's the last question that I always ask on this show to every guest. You talk about in your book, the important role of mindset surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? I'm grateful to my life. Life is amazing. 
It's wonderful. Just every day, it's just absolutely amazing. I'm very grateful to my son. He's my teacher. Children are, come to us as teachers. You know, people somehow believe that we adults are so clever and children don't know anything and we teach them. Yes, we teach them mundane things, you know, like how to dress, how to drive a car, how to behave in this human society. But children, teachers, they come to this world to teach us most profound spiritual truths. They come here to make us better human beings and to make us evolve and to improve our consciousness, to raise our consciousness. And my son has been my teacher in life. He, and he still is. still is my, my spiritual guide and my spiritual teacher. And I'm very, very grateful for what happened to me. Very grateful for the fact that he's chosen me and his mother, that he came to me. I'm very grateful to him for that. And gave me all the lessons and took me by the scruff of my neck and pulled me out of the mainstream medicine. <laughs> And forced me to go into all of this and look into food and look into nature and understand what life is about. So I'm very grateful to my life and the way it turned out to be and to my child. And I'm grateful to all the GAPS people all over the world. Every one of them teaches me. What I write in my books, I haven't got from any book. I haven't got from any other doctor or any scientist. All of it I got from my patients. My patients are my teachers. And I'm very grateful to them for that. This has been absolutely amazing. I as well am so grateful for your work. I, like I said, I've been a follower of it for years and years and years, and I've seen so many testimonials of how it's just radically improved and changed people's lives. And so it's a really surreal moment to be talking to you right now. And I can't recommend enough that listeners check out all of your work. Is there any links that you would like to put out there? How can listeners best get your work, follow your updates, all of that? There's a lot of GAPS information online. My main website is gaps.me, G-A-P-S dot me. I have a blog, also drnatasha.com, where I put news and new information. I've just put a wonderful testimony there of a lady who recovered from an autoimmune disease, generalized autoimmune disease from the GAPS diet, and gapstraining.com. So if you would like to get trained in how to run the GAPS nutritional protocol. We have two training courses running at the moment. One is for medical practitioners for to, to become a certified GAPS practitioner to work with clients. And another one is for GAPS coaches. A GAPS coach is like doctors and nurses. You know, The GAPS coach is a person who doesn't have to have a prior training to become a GAPS coach. You can become a GAPS coach without medical training. You will be the hands-on person. These are the people who can come to the home of the patient, of the person, help them shop, help them cook, help them deal with daily issues, you know, with fussy eating child or with, with whatever daily issues occur. Because many GAPS people don't have much energy. They're tired. They're exhausted. They have low energy. They're debilitated by their diseases. Mothers of autistic children haven't had a proper sleep for years. They're exhausted these poor ladies. It's very difficult for them to read all the books, to, to learn all the material, to f- do what, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? What, what do I need to do here or there? So having a person like that who can guide you day by day is invaluable. So these are GAPS coaches. So we have these two, two courses running in parallel. We're planning to have a, a course for uh, GAPS chefs. Hopefully it will come out this year. This course hopefully will launch it this year, GAPS Chefs. We will have a course that is going to be launched soon 
for people who are following the GAPS diet. So you can just do the course and follow the diet at the same time. And you'll be able to ask questions from the experts. I have a fantastic team uh, that I'm working with in GAPS training. I'm blessed to have a, a wonderful team of people who are working with me. They're doing very good work. Wow. That is so many resources. You are a busy woman. Again, <laughs> I am so grateful for everything. So for listeners, we'll put links to everything that Dr. Campbell McBride just discussed in the show notes. And the show notes, again, are at melanieavalon.com slash gaps. Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. I look forward to your future work and hopefully we can have another conversation in the future because it's just really, really incredible. And I'm just so grateful for this conversation. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much for organizing this interview and thank you for your work, for spreading the word. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.